Hi, I'm Dr. David Day of Samurai Digital Security, and this is 404 Cybersecurity Not Found, telling cybersecurity and new R since 2015. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. We're joined by the one and only Dr. David Day, as always. And this week, we're talking about cyber insurance. Now, I think before we start, today is just going to be a bit of a natter around cyber insurance. Neither of us are cyber insurance experts. David is, of course, a cyber expert, but the the cyber insurance market is still in its relative infancy. I mean, the the first kind of cyber policies were were introduced probably in the early 90s, right, with the, the... you know, introduction of the internet, etc. And it had quite a slow takeoff, most likely due to lack of perceived risk. So there wasn't really a demand for it. But since then, with the explosion of the internet and technology, there has been, of course, an increase in cyber attacks. And I would say that it really didn't reach its relevancy until 2014, 2015. Uh, that's where we really started to see cyber insurance come into the market. There was a lot of rah about the the uptake of it. So Given the fact that now cyber attacks are almost a, a weekly occurrence for us, it, it begs the question where cyber insurance is right now. So at the minute, cyber insurance as a market is probably worth about five and a half billion pounds, right? Which is, it, it's it's a figure that you can't really quantify with our day-to-day monkey brains, but it's large, right? That's, that's the takeaway. And Obviously, with the increase in in cyber attacks, there are a lot of insurers jumping on the insurance bandwagon, right, for cyber cyber security. And looking at where it's going in the future, there are estimates, and obviously they're they're only estimates, but it's it's said to double in the next five years in terms of market value. But we often get asked the question, should I get cyber insurance? What can it replace? What can it do for me? What, What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? And to establish that, it, it, it depends on a lot of things, but we, we first must consider, well, what does cyber insurance include? So the two key areas to consider um, are first party and third party. And, you know, when we're talking about car insurance, there's always those kind of terms thrown around. So with first party, really, what that summarizes is it's your own cost that it covers, Right, it covers your investigation services, any kind of interruption to business, data recovery, and third party really includes that, but also is the liability to clients or any government or, or authority, such as settlement costs, media liability, etc. But right, so see stakeholders, I guess, right? So this is like I guess it covers your own costs to, to 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 your business, but what about if you know, for example. I think there was a company called Bit9 once that got breached. Uh, and of course, there was that whole thing with uh, RSA when, when they got breached as well. And it was actually, they got breached because the hackers were after the details of Lockheed Martin. So the people who paid the biggest price was actually Lockheed Martin rather than RSA. Of course, RSA had losses as well, but Lockheed Martin's losses were arguably bigger so you know we, we in, in that scenario you know it was a different state then cyber insurance was but if, if if cyber insurance had been then as it is now you know rsa would be covered and lockheed martin would be covered as well from the fallout there was a thing called um, bit nine 
eight, it was a while ago. I remember them getting them getting hacked, and actually their product was something that provides cybersecurity to other businesses. So when they get ha- hacked, it actually then allowed the bad guys to access the data of other organizations. So then, of course, we're in the situation where the cyber insurance company, you'd want them to be liable for your own costs, but also the costs from your clients as well. You think about that, actually, Brad, for a, for a minute. You know, if you've got a company and it has, you know, thousands of clients and you get breached and your company happens to do business in a way where if you if you get breached and the information of those clients is stolen, the damage to all of those clients could be significant and you're holding the data of thousands of them. How on earth is all that going to get covered by an insurance provider? It would be absolutely crippling. So I'm curious as to where this is going to go in terms of either A, whether they pay up, because I'm sure their legal guys have very, very brilliantly written in, or I would suspect, I'm not going to accuse anything, I'm just going to suspect that they would have written in some brilliant loopholes to get them out of paying. If they haven't, you know, these, these are the kind of things that could really, really hurt an insurance company. If they haven't done due diligence in ascertaining the amount of money that it could cost to sort this out. So I'm curious, I'm really quite interested to see what direction this is going in. I mean, we've seen, haven't we, that the costs are going up exponentially. It's not even a straight line, is it? It's a curve. So I had a look at some figures before I came on this podcast from quarter one, 2020 to quarter one this year, 2021. And, you know, it was a it was a proper curve. Uh, they're, they're flying up. And I can see why. You know, just look at what's happening with ransomware. I think that's the that's the crux of it. Mm. And I think with the rise of premiums uh, will also come in the in the decrease of, of total value that it covers you for. You know, you identified the, the potential liability costs to businesses if they lose the IP of their customers or their sensitive data. Uh, the, the cost would be hundreds of millions in, in certain circumstances. And, you know, we're often asked, well, how much does a cyber policy cost? How much should I pay for one? And I think there are a few key areas that, that they consider when, when pricing up a premium, of course. Dave, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Well, I have some thoughts on what they should be doing. Um, <laughs> I don't, what, what they are and aren't doing is all a big mystery to me at the moment. It's not well known. Insurance companies aren't being particularly open about it. But when's that ever changed? I mean, if you look at the car insurance industry, for example, you know, we've, we've never really been treated any other way than kept in the dark with regards to how they determine when they're going to pay, how much they're going to pay and what the premiums are going to and how the premiums are calculated. You know, it's that whole crazy thing where if you're involved in an accident, that's somebody else's fault. It affects your premium. So, you know, if you're just parked in a multi-story car park in a safe part of town and your car gets broken into or somebody runs into your car, now our premiums go up. It's going, you know, it's absolutely nothing to do with this, but our premiums go up and we're, 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 we're quoted statistics for that. Well, statistics show us that if you've, you know, you've made a claim, you're more likely to make a claim in the future. Or something like that, and it's just mm-hmm. like, well, you know, that that's 
that's really stretching the maths to 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 your advantage it's it's using a generic scenario to public you know premiums of people when really they should be looking at individual circumstances i'm a little untrusting of insurance companies i have to say they're a necessary evil but particularly with cyber insurance where it's such a complex and involved understanding that's needed to identify blame, risk, cost. You know, these things can be subjective. And I have yet to be convinced that the insurance companies fully understand the market they're getting themselves into. And at present, don't have the statistical data to help them be accurate. So I'm curious as to how this is going to go, what direction it's going to go in and, and how useful cyber insurance is going to be. I mean, you know, they talk about the things it can potentially cover, don't they? Like cost to yourselves, cost to third parties, amount of time your business is unavailable. They talk about blackmail payments as well, but my understanding very much is the fact that there's, you know, there's, there's laws, particularly in the US, that stipulate that you shouldn't be paying ransoms. So even though some of the insurance companies kind of allude to the fact they'll pay that, I'm thinking, well, will they really? Ultimately, I'm sure there's some clause in somewhere where it says as long as it's legal to do so, and that will then give them the get out on that, wouldn't it? So I've got my concerns around what they will and what they won't pay. I, I have had experience of clients who have come to me. And in my view, what's been a cut and dried case of the insurance company should pay up and have found a reason not to pay on more than one occasion. So I'm, I'm hesitant to promote it as an option. It's, it's definitely not something that should be a replacement of adequate security controls. Um, we've heard of a few, particularly in the, in the SME market and the private sector, right, of, of companies that choose to just pay the premium of cyber insurance don't invest in in cyber controls and just take the risk, right? Well, it's it's fine. You know, I'm I'm paying X amount per month. If I get breached or hacked, then it's going to be paid for. So, really, what's the benefit of spending more than I should do if it's going to be paid for anyway? Um, but that's when it, it relates back to the whole get out of jail free card that that are in the fine print of all these policies. That you know, well, is it human error or you know anything that can be used to or oh, the human error card? <laughs> well, think about it, right? I mean, they say they say they'll pay anything unless it's caused by human error. What isn't? Start to think about this in terms of breaches, and you say, well, what isn't human error? And so you think, well, okay, let's let's have a look at some scenarios. You get fished, you get caught with ransomware because you you click on a malicious link and it infects your machine, right? Or some machines. Well, that's human error. You know, you should have been more aware of that phishing email. Okay, that seems a bit mean. Uh, and then we think, oh, okay, so there's other ways you can get breached, right? So maybe maybe they get in by a vulnerability or a flaw in, I don't know, RDP, IIS, Apache, whatever it might be. And in that scenario, you know, they, they could argue, well, you should have patched those systems. And you didn't because you didn't patch within a one-week time frame. You know, you, you can be attacked very quickly after the vulnerability comes out. We're going to state then that that's your fault. It's human error, and therefore we won't pay you. So I don't know. Like, I, I have a suspicion that they probably would pay 
if if they could so if they, they would probably look at this right and think okay well how much is it worth and if it's a massive number that's when the negotiation would start and i can imagine let's say it was like 30 40 million it's at that point where they might think you know well that's an awful lot of money let's start playing the human error card here uh, well, you know, that was human error. You should have patched the systems. You should have been more diligent with the phishing. You know, you, should, uh, you shouldn't have plugged into that open network. Whatever it might be, right, that, that was your mistake. It was a human error that caused that problem. You, you can see that, you can, you can imagine that they would start to play that card if the, if the figure was higher. If it was small, let's say it was 5,000, say, they might think, you know what, we're just going to settle this because they're not going to want the bad press. So they're going to look at it and they're going to think, well, because ultimately they can settle or they can not settle. They can always find a reason for saying, I'm not going to pay. Always. They'll always come up with something if they want to. But they'll also know that if they do that and, and do it continually, that w- the word will get out and people will stop buying their premiums and it will hurt them financially. So they kind of have to pay in some circumstances to make the customer feel that it's genuine and that they will get some protection. But there's going to be a line, isn't there? There's going to be a line when it reaches a certain number that they're going to think, right, time to bring in the old human error card or whatever caveat they've managed to, to, to cleverly write in there. And at that point, they might start negotiating and saying, well, okay, maybe, do you know what? We think, we think you're at least responsible for 80% of this breach or 60% or 90% depending on how much they decide they want to pay when weighed up against the bad publicity they might get for paying nothing. And I suspect, and I don't know, I don't work in insurance, I'm quite happy to hear from people who do and perhaps have a better handle on this, even if it's not in cyber, if it's in some other form of insurance, I'd love to hear more. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's what's going on there. And that brings in an element of, it. well, whether or not, uh, an insurer pays out is subjective which falls well <laughs> it, it it brings in the the human bias and the limitations of that to to make adequate calculations and decisions under pressure uh, and how do you even put a percentage of blame uh in, in an incident you know well if you if you bring it to a car analogy uh, somebody goes into the back of you and it's like well we can't pay out in this occasion because you didn't pump your tires up enough you know the week prior and just you know, you can with the element of human error, you can go all the way back to well, you're using systems that were coded by people, therefore human error. Sorry, no payout. Um, so there's really no limit on how far they can take it. So I, I think, Dave, do you think there should be some kind of uh, prerequisites to insurers giving out policies? I, I know there are companies, some insurance companies that actually do that. I think there's one in the US called AIG which actually ask you a, a bunch of questions before they'll allow you to purchase insurance with them. And these questions are to try to establish, you know, the culture of the organization, what its risk appetite is, what kind of security they have in place already, you know, to try to sort of drill into it. And if, if the answers aren't particularly great, it won't necessarily mean that they won't uh, pay out. But what it uh, will mean is the amount of compensation you would receive would be reduced based on the fact that you haven't been as diligent with your security controls. 
So you're not going to get as much back because you weren't actively making an effort to secure your company, which if I'm honest, I think is fair. Um, so, you know, why, why should it be fair that you pay the same amount if you're pouring hundreds of thousands into your cybersecurity provisions as somebody who doesn't put any money in there and just flies by the seat of the pants? Uh, and thinks I'll be fine. I'll just get the insurance, and then you know I'll be all right. So that doesn't seem right to me. So I think it's fair, and I th- I actually think probably the one of the fairest things to be done by insurance companies would be to you know to go down that route and to make sure they're secure. But it's interesting. I had a I did have a conversation with a cybersecurity insurance broker a couple of years ago, and we talked about some of this stuff. And he said that that's fine, but the problem with that is that you know when you're paying insurance premiums obviously the the insurance company need to make a profit right which is fair enough and the cost of asking a few questions isn't too harsh but if they wanted to take it a step further and ensure that the company is secure and therefore do a risk assessment on them because this is what i suggested to them i said well why don't you get companies like ours right <laughs> to do a risk assessment for your clients and then you know we can give you an indication of how secure we think they are and then you can you can cost your premiums accordingly and they said well the problem with that is the cost it would be that we would have to pay you to do that that would then need to be recouped and the only way of recouping that would be to increase the cost of the premiums and therefore we'd lose clients so it's a tricky one right the direction it's going to go and would all be down to how much money is made and lost by the insurance companies. So I guess it's going to find its own way just, just through whatever happens, however it goes. But at the moment, it's definitely a, it certainly isn't something I would trust at all. Not at this point, because there's not, not, not a decent case history for when they'll pay and when they won't pay. And that's, that, that's what I wouldn't want to rely on. And plus also when you think about those, those 25 questions, I mean, where, where are they going to go with it? Is it, you know, the 25 maybe simple questions with AIG, but perhaps another organization might decide to do more questions. And then they may think, well, based on those questions, that's when we'll decide how much, what the premium you should pay is, as well as what we're going to compensate you for if something was to go wrong. And also there's, there's things that, you know, the insurance definitely cannot cover. So it can't cover the damage to your reputation, can it? So if your company gets breached, and it costs you X amount of money to, to, to bring your systems back online. And you lose X amount of business through the fact that you're not trading during those times, say, for example. And then many of them, as I'm led to believe, will pay as well if clients take action against you. So, you know, if your breach then results in legal action against you, the insurance companies might pay for that too. But when the dust has settled, other organizations might look at you as a provider of a service or a creator of a product and think, I just don't trust you. Look what happened. I don't want to do business with you anymore. And of course, no insurance is going to cover you for that. And that's probably the biggest loss of all, right? Well, it's a, it's a risk to the to the future of the business. And you know, the, the lifeblood of a business is always sales. And if your clients don't trust you to, to store their data in a secure manner, well, they're not going to buy from you, are they? I wouldn't. No. I think there's, there's also a concern for me, you know, when those questions are asked, 
and I think I think we may we're probably going to go this way to to a certain degree. I suspect I don't know, but I suspect when they sort of ask the questions, those the sort of simple twenty five questions, if they like, the temptation you can you can lie and get the lower premium, but if you lie and then an investigation takes place and discovers you know post breach and discovers that you've told a fib, your insurance is going to be invalidated. And one thing we do know because we've experienced it a few times ourselves as a cybersecurity consultancy is that when a company does get breached and they have cyber insurance, the cyber insurance company, they don't call them this, right? They, they, they don't call them this. They call them, I don't know, they, they, they badge you to some way of helping you out. It's a service they provide to help you out. But the, but the, but the truth is a loss of justice. They will send loss of justice in. And we've had the, what, what I would, you know, call loss of justice other cybersecurity consultancies that are being paid by the insurers coming in to talk to the client our client and talk to us as well sometimes and i've always got the feeling in those cases that they're not there to help they're there to apportion blame and reduce the payout so you know there there is like i say they don't call them this they badge them in a very friendly way that makes you think these guys are this consultancy is going to help you out of the trouble. But for me, they're loss adjusters and they come in and, and they'll dig around. And if they find evidence that actually a lot of this is down to your own lack of security controls, you're not going to get the money. So that's worth bearing in mind as well. So you can't, you know, blagging it isn't going to get you anywhere necessarily. And just be prepared that somebody's going to be going in there sniffing around and trying to uncover whether actually you're at fault. You haven't put adequate controls in. You know, mm. there was more human error than there needed to be. You know, and the, the, these things are going to be considered by the insurers before they decide to, to pay. As an interesting thought experiment, it, let's say uh, you've decided to set up Dr. David Day Cyber Insurance, right? What would you say, if somebody came to you and said, Dave, want to buy insurance off you, what would you say is the minimum level of acceptable security for you to, to work with them? What do they have to have in place for you to be comfortable in that scenario? I think I would be nervous about any, insuring any company that didn't have a meaningful certification that's been provided by a uh, an established and trusted body. So, you know, larger organisations, I'd probably want to see something like 27,001 in there. Smaller organisations, at a minimum, I'd want to see Cyber Essentials Plus. And without those certifications, maybe I'll still insure you, but by God, you you better put your hand in your pocket because I'd want a big premium, <laughs> and I'd be and I'd and I'd do. Do you know what would I do any different? I'd probably be building the same loopholes in that they must be doing, because you know, you you, you don't want to be put out of business by a company getting hacked, and you're insuring them. So you've got to you've got to put yourself in a position where you can survive, mm-hmm. and so I can perfectly understand why they're doing this. You can't buy your way out of risk. There's a limit to how much risk you can transfer. And that's what insurance is, right? You're transferring risk to them from you. But there's a limit to how much risk they're going to let you transfer to them. And there's a limit to, to you know, how much you're going to get back. I wouldn't say don't have it. I would say be extremely careful on how much you think it's going to protect you. So here's an interesting thing, right? I think I read this somewhere, and, and if I didn't, it sounds true. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I read this somewhere, that, that when they introduced 
motorcycle helmets and made them compulsory. I think the, tr the same may be true for, for seatbelts as well, that the number of accidents increased. The number of fatalities decreased because they were protected, right? They had helmets on and they had seatbelts. So I, I think at least the number of uh, uh, deaths in, from accidents decreased, but the number of actual accidents increased because people thought, well, I've got a seatbelt on, I'll probably be all right, even if I do have an accident, and the same with helmets. Well, I've got a helmet on, so if I have an accident, I'm probably less likely to die. So I'll ride a bit faster. I'll ride a bit more recklessly. You know, I'll drive a bit more recklessly because I've got a seatbelt on. I've got airbags, I'll drive a bit more recklessly. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the studies have been done into this because I'm, I'm, I'm convinced I've read it, that that you're at, you actually become your attitudes and your, you know, how you do business, your appetite for, for risk increases because you think I'm more likely to get away with it. So you start doing more stupid things. Maybe if you have cyber insurance, right? You think there's probably a, like a one in a hundred chance that if I click this link, I'm going to get fished. But you know what? I'll take that risk because I've got cyber insurance. Click. And then, you know, so you, you actually increase the, your, your level of riskiness because you have cyber insurance. But then you also increase your chance of something bad happening. And if that bad thing does happen and that insurance doesn't cover you for it, then actually having insurance has actually got you hacked and into trouble. The actual very fact that you've got insurance has made you more vulnerable to being breached and ransomware. I strongly imagine statistically that to be a truth. I can't, I can't confirm that for sure, but just based on other industries, that, that I do know about, you know, I suspect that would be the case. And that, that could certainly work very much against you if they don't get you out of trouble or they don't get you out of trouble as much as you hoped they would. And cyber insurance won't, won't protect you in that instance. You know, in, in the instance of clicking a phishing link, you're far better off spending your money on, I don't know, Microsoft ATP for email or any other email security provider. That's going to give you more protection in that instance than insurance will, of course. So it's, it's really key that we don't prioritize the insurance over controls. And just as ge general guidance and advice for, for cyber insurance as a whole, I think it's, it's so important to read the fine print of these policies. You know, the, the, there are endless terms that we've discussed. Some may not cover unencrypted data or, I don't know, third-party investigations that may not cover only with approved providers. So it's really it's really important that you, that you read the fine print on these and know the get-out clauses, know where you're covered and where you're not covered. So in, in, the, in the unfortunate event of, of an incident, you know exactly where you stand. Right, right. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. But, but a word of caution as well, though. To go back to that previous example I gave about the client who suffered a breach and then was struggling to get the money back from the insurance company because they kept coming up with different excuses for why they wouldn't pay. And I was helping the client to try to, to, get, this, to get this money from the insurance uh, company. I had a look through the policies and I was reading the policies and reading the way they were, they were written. On one occasion, I contacted the insurance company. didn't didn't say that I knew, you know, the client who had been breached, but just talked to them about their own policies to try to try to ascertain whether a client would be covered in this in this situation. So I phoned them as a prospective, you know, client to be insured, and I was asking questions. So if if this happened, would we be covered? If this happened, would we be covered? If this happened, would we be covered? And almost every answer was prefixed with the word, it depends. I'm like, okay. You ask for a particular phrase, 
some verbose phrase in the policy to be, you know, qualified and quantified in terms of how, what it means. And you get back an even more verbose, wishy-washy answer. So, so because the terms and the way it's written is so incredibly subjective, really, it's, it, it almost falls down to the goodwill of the insurer to decide. It comes down to the, uh, the insurer's discretion about whether you're covered or otherwise. There's, there's some nervousness about that. But, but as I said, I think, it, I think it's really going to boil down to the, you know, the insurer's thinking, if we don't pay, how much business are we going to lose by not paying versus, you know, how much is it going to cost us if we do pay? And they're just going to be maths in those sums. And if it doesn't balance, if they look at it and think the payout here is more than the amount of business we'll lose by not paying or paying a reduced amount, that's the decision they're going to take, right? Because it's just a business. Bottom line is, I think, don't trust cybersecurity to dig you out of trouble if you get breached. Don't change your behavior from being you know, sensible to being risky because you've got cyber insurance. And if you are going to have cyber insurance, do both. Treat it right, as yet another tool in your cybersecurity arsenal. Put it in there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to transfer some risk. It'll mitigate some risk. But also do everything you can to prevent a breach from happening. So you take health insurance, right? You take health insurance out. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to start walking, you know, getting drunk and running across a dual carriageway, does it? You know, just because you've got health insurance, you still don't going to get hit by a car. Or you know you don't you not you don't act more foolishly you know in terms of your health because you have health insurance you don't suddenly start you know having every meal in McDonald's just because you've got health insurance and I think the same is true with with cyber really um, have it as part of your suite of protection but don't think cyber insurance replaces the need for everything else so I guess if you're going to do it do both spoken like a true expert thanks Dave well, I'm no expert in insurance. But I am in cyber, and uh, it just takes a bit of common sense to realise that they can't pay out in every situation. Mm. It's no silver bullet. No silver bullet. No panacea. So I think on that note, ladies and gentlemen, until next week. Cheers. See you later. This podcast was brought to you by Samurai Digital Security, purveyors of cybersecurity solutions. Find us at samuraisecurity.co.uk and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Samurai Security, tearing cybersecurity a new R since 2015.